Well, this morning we start out, we're going to start out with a video to introduce uh, a couple of uh, ministries that we have in our church. Uh, we, uh, uh, this is kind of the soft beginning of Missions Month. Uh, and so we're going to have two ministries, uh, people in our own church family, the Schellenbergers, we're excited about them and what they're doing. Uh, we're excited as we see people in our church family leading out and taking charge and doing ministry that is exciting to no end to the elders of this church, to the leaders of this church, to hopefully to you as well. And so we're going to hear a little bit about uh, uh, two ministries, uh, the inheritance and the nest. So growing up, um, my grandfather was a pediatrician in Waco, Texas. And in the 80s, he would go to Guatemala for on medical mission trips. When I saw him doing that, I really was inspired to, to do the same. And so when I started my practice in 2006, for the first probably four or five years, I did mission trips once a year, and largely just to kind of see what it was about. But it was, it was really pretty superficial. Um, you know, yes, I was doing it, yes, I was going, um, over the last seven or eight years, I've really recognized that there has to be more of a why behind it than that. My uh, wife, Erin, and I went on a, a mission trip in 2016. It was a non-medical mission trip with our family to a tiny country in Africa called uh, Swaziland. Uh, over the last few years, we've just kind of become more and more and more uh, driven to, to help out that people group recognizing that it's not just one people group that needs us, one culture that needs us, one area that needs us. I mean, we, everybody in the world needs Jesus Christ. And so as we worked towards that, we also, or I came really to the realization that just as Jesus Christ, he would go and meet physical needs, um, but he met a spiritual need that was far, far deeper than that. And we really have to do the same. And if we go and work on patients hearing and not address the spiritual need, we're missing not just half the boat, we're missing the whole boat. So we formed a nonprofit organization called The Inheritance in 2018. And I treat patients here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area through other nonprofit organizations, through Mansfield Mission and through Mission Arlington. Um, and an attempt in some way to meet spiritual needs there as well. Uh, praying with patients and, and giving out patients uh, tracts and, and it's challenging, uh, but, but we're also looking to grow something. Uh, and whether it is in um, the little country of Swaziland or in another country uh, anywhere around the world, it's, it's wherever the Spirit leads us. Right now, the things that we need most uh, are prayer, prayer for direction, prayer for uh, that the, the people where we go will, will want us to be there um, because it's surprising. Sometimes the local medical communities aren't, aren't actually that excited about someone coming in and offering for free for what they are getting paid for. Granted, the need is so massive uh, that they could never meet the need um, that's there. And so the other thing that we really need uh, is, is equipment, 
and donations so that we can purchase equipment. Um, so we're trying to start small um, uh, and I'm hopeful that when we go in March, uh, we'll actually begin operating for the first time. Uh, we've been um, five or six times uh, together since 2016 and we're finally starting to see wheels turn uh, in that country uh, and it's exciting but at the same time it, it makes us a little bit anxious because the fact is we don't know if God will continue to grow that there or if he'll just shut the door there and say look you need to be somewhere else you need to be in another country you need to be in Central America or Mexico or just continue to grow what we've started here and be more aggressive spiritually here and I'll admit that's more scary than going to to Eswatini uh, it is more scary to to be bold for Jesus Christ here in Mansfield Texas and in Arlington Texas than it is to be bold in another country um, and God willing I will will continue to to do the steps that we've taken here uh, but you know he's he makes us do things we don't think that we should be able to do. But it's exciting to, to see change in our own lives and exciting to see changes in other people's lives too. When Luke and I got married, I couldn't necessarily say that I had been called to missions in the same way that he had been. Um, I kind of assumed that by default that I would just join him in whatever mission it was that God had called him to. And it left me asking the Lord a lot, well, what do you want from me? What's your plan for me? What, what am I called to? Yes, motherhood. Yes, stepmotherhood. Yes, discipling women. Um, yes, helping my husband. But beyond that, do I have a calling? And I think that as believers, we are all called to the Great Commission. And so there was this nagging feeling that even though it may not have been completely specific yet, that I, I do have a calling, and that is to share the love of Jesus Christ with whomever I come in contact with in whatever I do. Luke and I began talking about what we might be able to do with an underutilized resource that was in our backyard. Uh, when he bought the house, there was a shed there. And to call it a shed, it, it wasn't anything fancy. We just began praying about the possibility of finishing it out for the purpose of ministry. And we didn't know what kind of ministry or what God might have in mind, but uh, we decided to finish it out anyway and just trust that through prayer and through time, God would make His purpose evident to us. In the summer of 2017, after about five or six months worth of prayer, God gave me the vision for Nest through a single verse Psalm 84.3, and it says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest where she can have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. And in that one moment, it became just crystal clear to me that God had intended for us to use our guest house as a maternity cottage for a young, unwed woman in an unexpected pregnancy who wanted the opportunity to become independent um, and to grow in her relationship with Christ. In terms of our, our needs right now as an organization or as a family, I'm happy to just say that God is providing in every way that 
that we could have imagined. This isn't the kind of ministry yet where I know exactly what we're going to need in six months or even next week. But I can say that this church and this body of Christ is doing exactly what the body of Christ was intended to do. And so I just want to say thank you to those of you that have, um, have stepped up to meet our needs as they became available and as they became known to us. All I can say is amen, right? Does that fan the flame of your heart? We're talking about that, fanning the flame. It fans the flame of my heart to see a couple of people who love the Lord stepping up to the call that he has for their lives. And I think let's take a moment to just pray for them. And then after the service, if you want to talk to them, they're going to have a table or they have a table out in the lobby and uh, they'll be able to talk to you more about what they're doing and what they're trusting the Lord for. So, and I would at the very least encourage you, keep them in prayer, keep this step. Cause you notice on both their videos, they said, we don't know where this is going, right? It's a journey of faith. Faith is stepping out and taking that risk, and I'm excited. It fans the flame of my heart to see people in our church taking a step of faith. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for the body of Christ and how you lay on different people's hearts different ministries that you have for them. And I thank you for the Schellenbergers, Father. And, and I know this is hard for them to kind of go public with all of this, but Lord, at the same time, this is another part, another step in the journey. And Father, we trust you. We are looking to you. We know this these ministries are bigger than, than us. They're bigger than them. They're, they're bigger than our church. And Father, we're looking forward to seeing what you're going to do. We expect your power to be involved in these ministries. We look forward to what you're going to do and to see transformed lives. And that's what we ask for. And so Lord, we lift these ministries up to you and pray that you would bless them. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified and honor ultimately. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this first part of the chapter, I got to be honest with you. I really, really, really wanted to skip it. I mean, it's a list of stuff and it's all negative. 18 negative things. And I was thinking, Lord, I don't want a negative message. I don't want to just kind of get out here and go, okay, here's your, we're horrible in this and you're horrible in that. And here's, okay, you know, God bless you, Right? I mean, so I looked at this list and I was like, oh Lord, please give me strength, give me wisdom to know why you've included this here. Because you, you begin at the beginning of the, of the book and he says, fan into flame, the gift of God. And, and it's a very tender statement. He's not just going, okay, come on you, yahoo, what's going on with you? You're supposed to be on fire for the Lord and you're smoldering. I mean, he could have said that, right? That's not what he said. He says, I remember your tears. I've been praying for you regularly because I know that you're very tender right now. You're very hurt for, by something right now. And I want you to remind you that you're, you're a person of faith. And you're somebody who's gotten involved in ministry. And, and now something happened. And you're going through something very difficult. And I don't know whether that something happened is criticism. Because in 1 Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. Instead, be an example. And he, and he talks about that in chapter 4 and verse 12. And he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in a, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If you're young, you have something to offer. 
And Timothy had something to offer. And he says, I want, I want that to be offered to the body of Christ that when they see you, they're going to see a per- person who in what you say and how you conduct yourself, that you're a person that loves, that you're a person that has a strong faith, and that you're somebody who keeps himself pure. And I think, wow, that's what Timothy has to offer. But apparently something was going on. Was that it? I don't know. I think it was at least in part of it. He says, I'm reminded of your faith. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how you have this, in the, in the original, it's fan into flame again. So the picture is, you've got the coals, and there's no flame. Well, what happens? What, how did that get there? That gets there in our lives when we get involved in ministry and we get tired. Because we've just simply burned up all the fuel. It doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. It may be that that fire has gotten down to that point because we've gotten criticism, we've gotten attack, we've, something's happened, and all of a sudden the flames are just kind of, they're, they just, we don't, we're not feeling it. And Paul's saying, fan it into flame again. Don't let it just be coals. Begin to build on it again. Begin to build on that gift that you've been given. Begin to use it again. And then pray that God would would bring that back to life and that bring that fire back to your heart, that passion that you've started with, that that would come back. And so that's that's the tenor of the letter. And so then he goes on in chapter 2 and says, this isn't just designed for you alone. You're not fanning the flames just so you can kind of be ablaze for God. You're fanning the flames so you can be ablaze for God so that it can invest and impart into somebody else's life. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. You're not supposed to keep it for yourself. It's not designed for you alone. It's designed for others and it's designed to pass on. And it's designed for me to invest in somebody else and that person to invest in somebody else and that person to invest. And that's how it's happened for the last 2,000 years. You think Jesus started with 12, lost one, had 11 guys, then had 70, then had over 500 according to first. Corinthians, and, they, and, it, and it began to build. 3,000 in Acts 2. I mean, it just exploded. And how did it explode? By multiplication, by life on life. That's how it works. That's how the Christian church was designed, designed to be. That we just keep investing one at a time, two at a time. And as we make that investment, it changes and transforms not only that person's life, it transforms our life because discipleship's never one way. It's always two way. I always grow more when I'm investing in somebody else because the teacher always learns more than the student, right? And so you, you realize that's what he wants it to be. Fan the flame, impart it to others, but don't do these other things. There's some things to avoid, there's some things to stay away from. And he gets into that, and we got into that a little bit last week in chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Who is this them? The ones that you're investing in. The others also, the faithful man. Uh, Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And so when we get involved in an argument, we get involved in discussion, what happens? Not only do we create division in the body, and we may be right. Whenever I get into an argument, I'm always right. (laughs) At least in my own mind, right? And so are you. When we come together and man, I've got, I'm loaded for bear, you're loaded for bear and we're coming at each other. 
We just destroy one another, but it's not just one another. It's everybody around. It's the kids in the family that are around hearing that explosion. It's the people in the church family. It's the people that hear about what went on. And all of a sudden, we have this quarrel that goes on, and it shouldn't be. How should we be? Well, he tells us, he says, don't do this, don't be quarrelsome, but be this. He never leaves us with just don't do this. He always tells us, here's what you want to do. And so he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, verse 24 of chapter 2, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting the opponents with gentleness. Notice the, the tenor of all of this. It's kind, patient, teaching, gentle. And so there's this sense of loving and caring about one another, not just quarreling. It doesn't mean that you put... Your, the truth on the back shelf. It doesn't mean that you don't study. And in fact, right in the context of that, it says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So you're a student of the word. You're someone who studies it hard and wants to know it well. But you don't, your goal, you don't fan it by quarreling. You don't fan it into flame by burning somebody else up. You fan it into flame and it has this gentleness and this tenderness, and this consideration, and this trust of the Lord that he's the one that's going to ultimately change the heart because it goes on and says that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so you're trusting the Lord in the midst of that. It's not me teaching and I'm going to change your thinking. I don't think that even on Sunday morning that I'm coming in here and I'm going to change your thinking. No, I want to just present the word of God and I know the power of the word of God. I want to present the word of God because I know the spirit of God is working and moving just like we sang about. He's working and moving in this room. He's here. We're in God's presence and he's touching your heart and you're either responding by going with him, repenting, responding, having your heart turn ablaze, set ablaze, or you're resisting and you're rejecting, you're frustrated and you're struggling. And you're in one of those two categories and the Spirit of God knows that when you come. Wherever you are on the gamut, He knows right where you are and He comes in on a Sunday morning as comforter, but also as exhorter. He doesn't leave us just comforted. He wants us to know, go more than that. And so it's God who transforms us and he, he wants to make sure that we are no longer captive to the devil who wants us to do his will. God wants us to, to be broken from that. He wants to set us free from that. And I think that's why he goes into chapter three and says, here's some things you need to avoid. Here's some things you need to stay away from. Whenever I first learned how to drive, there were things I was told, here's what you want to do. And here's some things you don't want to do. We, they used to show us all sorts of uh, these films called Signal 30, right? And, and I don't know if they still show those things today, but they were to scare you to death about what happens if you don't you know, drive well. And they showed you all these people that had died. And I was just like, oh my gosh, God, please help me not to end up like that. And he would, so they would tell you, here's some things to do. Here's some things you want to make sure that, you know, here's how you steer. Here's how you give your blinker. Here's when to give your blinker. Here's when to stop. Here's when to give somebody the right away. 
But then they would say things like, don't be you know, playing with your radio today, texting, right? We didn't have texting in those days. Uh, and so uh, here's some things to avoid, being distracted driver. Uh, I mean, all these different things, giving people space, don't get so close, don't ride on their bumper. I mean, all these different things to avoid. And that's what Paul is doing for us now in the spiritual life. We need to know the things we want to do, fan that flame. But here's some things to avoid. Here's some places you don't want to fan the flame. You don't want the flame to burn in this direction. And so he goes on and he says, but in, understand this, chapter 3, verse 1, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then right after that he gives a list of 18 things that we kind of let our eyes glaze over on. And we, we look at this and say, wait a minute, this phrase last days is, why is he all of a sudden jumping ahead to the end? And I think it's important for us to understand how the last days are, about, are to come about. When you look at um, the uh, issue of last days, you normally think in terms of uh, the end times. Now, Charles Ryrie, uh, uh, as I was reading him, he said, well, this is really referring to from the time of Christ all the way to the last days. Another uh, commentator that I read in Expositor's Commentary uh, uh, said that it's not, uh, this is referring to the last days, but they, th these things are going on today. And I think he's right. Uh, when you look at this chart of last or end times, if you notice I'm referencing Revelation throughout. This is an outline of the book of Revelation. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, this is a helpful chart to kind of have in mind. So that you understand when you're reading something, what section am I reading and what's happening uh, or what, uh, what's the time frame. If you want to take your phone and get, uh, take a picture of that uh, chart, you can do so. But you look at that and you realize that what he's talking about here is uh, he talks about this, uh, uh, the beginning of the chart is a cross. Okay, Jesus Christ died on a cross and that section right after is the church age. It's the age in which we are living. In, in Revelation chapters 1 through 4, you have the seven churches. Now, some have taken those seven churches and say, oh, they're prophetic of, of uh, all the ages of the church. And so they would say the first church is, is referring to uh, uh, the uh, time of the apostles. And then they would, uh, uh, that would be the church of Ephesus, the apostolic church. And then the church of Smyrna is the Roman persecution. And then Pergamum is the age of Constantine, so around 300 AD. And then Thyatira, the Dark Ages. And Sardis, the Reformation. And Philadelphia, the great missionary movements. And then Laodicea, the church of the apostasy. And you think, I'm not sure that's what he's doing in that first section. I think he's referring to here's seven churches that are typical of churches during the church age. And I think there were seven specific churches that he addresses. And so I think that that's a reference to the 2,000 years that we are in now. And then there's going to come a time of the rapture. And that's where you see that church with the little arrow going up that will meet the uh, Lord in the cloud in the airs, uh, in the air. And so uh, that's what, uh, at that point, that's the next thing that we're looking for, that at some point God's going to rapture his church. He's going to take his church to himself. And when he does that, there's going to be a seven-year, very difficult time, a very difficult period. No believers at the beginning of it, but people will be coming to Christ during that seven-year tribulation. And that's the bulk of the, of the uh, uh, book of Revelation, Revelation 4 to 19. And so when you see all these different bowl judgments and, and uh, seal judgments and trumpet judgments, uh, they're all uh, come into that section. 
And then there'll be the second coming of Christ in, in Revelation 19. And then in 20, it talks about a thousand year reign of Christ, that Christ will reign upon this earth for a thousand years. And then in chapters 21 and 22, a new heavens and new earth. So usually when you think last days, you're thinking this, that there's going to be a rapture and a tribulation and a second coming, a thousand year reign, new heavens, new earth. So when we're keeping that in mind, uh, we look at this and we think, okay, he says, understand this, that in the last days, so is he speaking specifically about that? Well, Jesus said that even now, it's the beginnings of birth pains in Matthew 24. So I think that these commentaries are right. That I think he is referring to the last days, but he's saying leading up to that, you're going to see these things in people's lives. You're going to see these kind of people in your world. And I think that Timothy saw them in his world. I think we see them in our world. And I think that they will be even more intensely in, in, uh, whenever, uh, right before Jesus comes. And so what are these lists of things? I want to briefly go through these things. And I want, us to, I want to encourage you to identify one or two that you think, oh yeah, I, I could use some work in this area. He starts off and says, people will be lovers of self. Oh wow, got me from the very beginning one. Very first one, right? Lovers of self. What does that mean? I choose me rather than choosing you. Jesus says, Deny yourself in Luke 9.23. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? I choose not me, but you. I deny myself. That means today, I choose you over me. That means tomorrow, I choose you over me. Does that mean that I never choose me? Does that mean I never focus on my needs? No, it, you, you focus on your needs, but I think that's not one that we usually need to focus on Although in some cases, some, some people there are so focused on trying to do for other people that they never take care of themselves. And in those cases, I think, no, you, you do need to take care of yourself. You do need to make sure you don't push yourself so hard that you burn yourself out or burn your family out. I know that can happen in ministry when you're doing ministry. Uh, I, it's, I, it's happened in my own family. I've, I've been guilty of that where I'm, I'm pushing hard and I'm doing something every night. And all of a sudden, I kind of look around and realize my family needs me. And so we've got to take time for our family. We've got to take time for ourselves. We can't fan the flame of our faith and, and never take rest. And, never, and there's, there's, there's a place for rest. There's a place to, to be restored and recharged. But we need to also think about, am I choosing self at times when I should be choosing others? Simple application I'd encourage you to do. Take a little index card and simply write, choose you. Choose you. Write that on the card and put it on, on the, uh, uh, next to your alarm clock, post it on your mirror in the bathroom, put it somewhere where you're going to see it, that you can begin to think, I want to choose you. I want to choose your needs. I want to choose your spiritual needs, not just your physical needs. I want to choose your spiritual needs. How am I investing in you spiritually? How am I investing in my children spiritually? How am I investing in my spouse spiritually? How am I investing in those around me, not only spiritually, but I'm serving them, washing the dishes or, or taking care of the kids or, or whatever it, that means at that moment that you're thinking, you know, I'd rather sit and veg out, but my spouse needs me at this point and I need to choose them and over me. And so just simply a little card, choose you. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Now, Paul had just talked to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 about loving money. 
In fact, he says, for the love of money, in chapter 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, for the love of money, not money, money is not the root of all evil, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Am I choosing things over people? Am I choosing stuff over you or even over me? Am I choosing my hobbies over you? I was thinking about how, how money can be such a controlling factor in our lives. And, t- and Paul has a great perspective on it. He doesn't say, hey, don't enjoy your money, just give it all away. Because he says in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, which would probably include most Americans. I mean, yeah, we do have poor among us, but for a lot of us, as for the rich, when you see the rest of the world and how they live, you realize we're very well off. He says, he, he says, charge them not to be haughty, so be humble, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, absolutely right perspective, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. But then he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life is not found in our wealth. Truly life is not even enjoying all the good things God has given us. Truly life is when I'm investing what God has given me for you, for our world, for those around me, those in need, those who don't know the Lord. That when my life, when I get to the end of my life, Am I going to look around at all my stuff and say, man, I'm so glad I bought all this stuff? (laughs) I don't think so. I'm going to think, God, thank you for this stuff because it allowed me to, and you fill in the blank. What do you want that to be? What is God laying on your heart? For the Schellenbergers, it was the nest, it was the inheritance that God has given them ability and opportunity and, and they're taking advantage of it and they're sharing with those in need and, and it not only touches their lives and the people that they're touching, it touches our church family's life. It fans the flame for us going, wow, God, what do you want for me? Maybe to get involved with them, maybe to get involved with another ministry or maybe to start another one. I don't know what that means. But I do know there is adventure there. We think that, oh, we want to do these things in life. If I choose me and if I choose money, if I go ahead and be proud and arrogant and just kind of, you know, be out there that, that my life is going to be better and more fun. And God's got this list of things not to do. And he's trying to be a killjoy and, and take away all my fun. And I think, uh-uh. If you think that, you don't understand what an adventure it is to take a step of faith for the Lord. It scares you to death. And I know that that's true in in them. It scares them to death to take this step. And yet there's nothing more thrilling to think I'm following the Lord and he's shown me the next step. And Lord, I'd kind of like to know the next step. Uh, If you go ahead and show it to me, uh, Lord knows when we need to know that next step. And so we just take this step. I don't have to know the whole roadmap. I don't even want to know the whole roadmap. I started thinking about that one day. Do I really want to know everything God has for me for now? I'm 65 all the way till I'm, say, 85. Uh, I'm not sure I want to know all of that. What if I'm going to get cancer somewhere along the way? What if I'm going to get something out? And I just think, Lord, just show me this next step. I don't need the roadmap. All I need is a compass and the next step. And you just direct me. And there's nothing more thrilling than that to know the Lord has just directed me in the next step. Hey, he showed me the next step. And so we take it. And when we trust the Lord for the next step, does it all go away? Does the ministry go away? I don't know. 
It's part of the journey as we step forward for him. So I don't need to love money. I don't need to love stuff and everything that that brings. I just, I just need to love the Lord. Proud and arrogant, it's easy to get to that point. It's easy to come to the point of pride and arrogance and, and he says later, swollen with conceit. God doesn't want that. He wants us to stay humble. What does humble mean? Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's simply not looking at yourself. It's looking at the other person. It's focusing on them, focusing on the needs that God has, uh, has in this world that he wants us to meet. Not that he has a need, but the people do. Abusive. The word that's used there is the word in the original is bla- where we get our word blaspheme from. So I think he's talking about verbal abuse. That we go and we talk bad about the people around us. We, we talk about the, uh, 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 we say bad things to them. We say hard things to them. We're cruel to them. And I think, no, no, that's not what he talked about before. That we're kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And so he's saying, not arrogant and proud, not abusive, and then he throws in disobedient to parents in there. And you think, wow, uh, what is, what's that all about? Why does he throw that in this list? I think it's because of our response to authority. Because how I responded to my parents ultimately is how I respond to God and how I respond to authorities that God has placed over me. And I look at that and think, wow, I need, I need to be responsive to authority. I need to be responsive to God's authority in my life. Ungrateful. I remember when I was in college, I came uh, to Dallas, I was in Austin, came to Dallas for the OU uh, Texas game, right? Red River rivalry. And we got a chance to come up and we could only afford the tickets, we couldn't even afford a place to stay, but one of the guys had a uh, family that, that we could stay with and we stayed with this guy's aunt and, uh, uh, and, she, uh, and so this other guy and I were in one room and, and the other guy's in another room and, and, and so when I was leaving, my buddy pulled out of his uh, suitcase a thank you card. And he wrote, jotted something on it and put it on the bed. I was very moved by that. I thought, wow, I didn't even think of that. That, that wasn't something that was even in my mind, not, not even a category in which I thought. And I thought, wow, we need to do more of just thanking people, being grateful for what God has given us. <coughs> Unholy. <coughs> Unholy, this idea that <coughs> God is Holy. That he has these things that he wants us to avoid. This whole list here. And he wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose his way. And not our way. Heartless. We see that more and more in our culture. Where there's, there's, there's anger. There's harshness. There's cruelness. In fact it talks about brutalness in the, in the passage here. Unappeasable. So that we're. The, the word in some translation is unforgiving. And I remember talking to someone uh, uh, in, in this last year, and they just said, I said something about forgiveness. They said, that person doesn't be, uh, deserve to be forgiven. And I was thinking, nobody deserves to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven by God. Is, when did ever deservedness ever come into that equation? Forgiveness is something I do. It's something I choose. And I was thinking about how many of us have somebody right here today that we haven't forgiven. And we think, gosh, we're falling into this list. And if I'm, if I'm unforgiving, I've just tethered my heart to that lack of forgiveness of, of that person. And God wants to set me free. 
slanderous, saying things about people either behind their back or in front of them, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. And I was thinking, wow, who would not love good? And yet in our culture, the very definition of good is being challenged. Good is defined by God, not by our culture. And so if I'm choosing his way and the culture is choosing not his way, guess what? They're not going to be choosing good. And I'm going to be countercultural simply by living according to his word. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then there's a phrase there. And in fact, as I was putting this sermon together, there were three phrases that stood out to me. This next one is one of those. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. When do I choose pleasure over God? When do I choose my desire and my delight over him? It doesn't mean that I don't choose desire and pleasure, but it means I choose God over it. And I was thinking about how many ways that happens. I, I, I remember hearing uh, uh, recently in the last you know, year, uh, somebody saying, oh, I, I'm going to take a break from church or I'm going to take a break from God for, you know, because we've been really busy and it's been a busy week and our busy weeks and busy months. And so we're going to take a break. And I was like, what do you mean take a break? Is that choosing all those other things you're doing over God when we do that? I mean, it's something we've got to at least ask ourselves the question, and where else where am I doing that? Where else am I saying something similarly where I'm, I'm choosing my way, my pleasure, my desire over choosing God's way and his desire? And I was thinking, wow. So I was thinking, choose you of lovers of self. I was thinking in this phrase, choose God. Just choose God. Choose him. And you might write on that card, choose you, and then below it, choose him. The next phrase that really stood out to me was this next one, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. And I was thinking about something that, that Luke said in his video. He said he had done all these mission trips before, and he said he, he, he had to ask the question, why? Why am I doing this? Am I doing it just to help people hear better or to change their lives? I think that's the, the difference. There's so many times that we get involved in something and, and we kind of have the appearance of godliness, but we're denying the power. What is the power of godliness? It's the spirit of God working. It's the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation, Romans 1 tells us. It's the word of God. It's powerful to, to, to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrows, judging the thoughts and tents of the heart. The word of God is powerful. And so when I'm just getting involved in helping my fellow person, my fellow human being, but I'm just doing it for those reasons and not because I care about them and about their spiritual lives. There's so many times, in fact, I, I talked to someone a couple of years ago that said, uh, yeah, we're going on this mission trip and we're going to impact people's lives, but we don't want to bring up the spiritual because we don't take advantage of people. And I was thinking, what do you mean take advantage of people? They're, they're craving spiritual life. That's part of them. They're a whole person. It's the, it's the whole person. It's not just a part. We want to transform the whole person, not just help their hearing. We want to change their eternity. We want to change their life situation because they're following after God and they have the power of God working in them. Why wouldn't they want that? Why wouldn't I want to share that? And then he goes on 
And he says, avoid such people who are doing all these things. And it's interesting to me that uh, I heard something recently who said that we become like the five people we hang around the most. I thought, wow, that's really sobering. We become the average of those five people. And I think, well, who am I hanging around? Hopefully people will still keep hanging around me once they've, I said that. But <laughs> I was thinking, we need, this is not talking about just Character qualities, this is talking about people who are living this way. It says, avoid that. And then he goes on and talks about them. It says, for they, among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led away by various passions. Say, that sounds kind of creepy. What's going on with that? Well, in ancient times, men couldn't talk to women in public uh, as, as openly. In fact, Jesus, you know, when we look at the Samaritan woman, we think, why are you talking to this woman? You're in public and you're not, you're not supposed to do that. And it's, it was against culture. And so what they would do is they would go into these homes and then they would try to convert them. They were these false teachers trying to convert people in their homes and hopefully they were doing it because they were hoping for a financial gain. And these guys were not only doing that, they were, they were taking advantage of the, the, uh, the uh, in that case, in that culture, the innocent, but they were also learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That was a third phrase that stood out to me. Always learning. So they were students of God's word. They're students of, of spiritual things, but never getting it, never understanding it. And it kind of goes back to that statement Luke was making is that in his video is that uh, understanding, finally getting it and go, whoa, it's this aha moment. I get it now. It's not just about helping people's hearing. It's not about us going to Ecuador and just putting shoes on kids. We put shoes on kids, that opens up that whole village to the gospel because they won't let the evangelical uh, person, they won't let the pastor go into that community and share the gospel, but they'll let us go in and put shoes on kids and bring that same pastor with us and he begins to have a door, an open door for the gospel and it changes that whole village. And so it's, 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 it's together, it's not trying to take advantage of that, it's using their need as an opportunity to meet their whole need even when they're trying to exclude you from part of it. And you begin to see life transformation and villages transformed. And so when I look at this passage, I think, am I choosing you? Am I denying myself and taking up my cross? Am I choosing God over stuff, over pleasure? Am I getting it? Do I understand that it's not just about serving and saying the right things? It's about actually investing in people's lives and spending time with them. It's, it's taking on 2 Timothy 2.2 and getting personally invested in somebody's life. Not just teaching on a group level, but involved one-on-one, -on -one, involved in small group. Am I expecting God to work? having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. I'm expecting God to work. I'm looking for God to work. I'm looking for God's power to, to come and to transform us. I'm, I know that the spirit of God is here with us. We're in his presence and he's moving around like we sang about and he wants to touch our lives and I'm expecting those lives to be changed, mine included. Am I getting it? Am I studying God's word but knowing that he has more for me than just being academic about his word. He wants it to change me. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind so as to sense what is the will of God, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. 
Let's be those who, as we look at a passage like this, we grab those things that we love God, that we expect God to work, and that we get it. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you have transformed us in Jesus Christ. You have and you are. You have already and you are changing us. Lord, help us to be those who know what things to avoid, that we stay away from those character qualities that we saw and people that have those, that those wouldn't be the, the main inputs in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like those who are inviting those to teach in our lives through the internet into our own homes without understanding what you're doing, without, without understanding what the truth is. Because I know that when we read those things on the internet, they sound right until somebody else comes along and has a differing understanding and we go back scratching our heads. Lord, I pray that as a body of Christ, we would rely on each other. We would lean on each other. That we would listen to one another and we would understand what your word says in fact. Lord, transform us. Change us. Help our lives not to be characterized by the 18 things we just read. Help them to be characterized by a love of people, a love of God, a looking forward to your power at work, a studying with a mind to understand. Lord, give us those things. Fan those flames. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.